Hi, and welcome to Volcano Bake Me. What you're about to listen to is actually one of our earlier episodes when our audio equipment wasn't quite as good as it is now, and we hadn't quite gotten into the rhythm of how the show worked. So it's uh, a little patchy. There's still plenty of good stuff in there, but if you're curious what our show's really like, we'd suggest that you actually go to our most recent episode and give that a listen. Much more polished, much more professional. And if you like what you see there, then maybe you can come back and see what we have to say in our earlier stuff when you're more readily able to forgive us. Thanks. Hello, and welcome to Volcano Bake Meat Episode 2, Storytelling. We are going to take a moment to uh, talk about storytelling in gaming, why that matters, and how we get to a story that actually really works. Or doesn't. Due to the nature of this episode, we apologize for any spoilers. We're going to try to be good and take notes as to what we might be spoiling for people and putting that in the show notes. So on. So check that before you listen to this. Definitely a good <laughs> If you haven't checked it yet, stop now. Look at them right now. Yeah, pause it. We'll wait. All right, okay. good? We good? Okay. All right, so to introduce, my name is Jessica. I'm Paige. I'm Jeff. I am Connor. And I'm Grant. And uh, we're going to start by asking, guys, what was the most notable game story that affected you emotionally? What touched your hearts? Oh, made man. You weep? Yeah. Made you scared? Uh, I can go with spoilers straight out <laughs> of the gate. Made you laugh. Um, that we can... Spoil it, honey. <laughs> yeah, Dragon Age Inquisition. Uh, oh, yeah. A midway point... I'm sorry, I wanted to do one more flamboyant voice. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> At a midway point in the game, um, after your, your group has suffered a major defeat, the entire group comes together, just the peoples of the kingdom. Um, they're downtrodden, they're distraught, they barely made it out alive. And the head of the Chantry, an old nun-type lady, starts singing one of the hymns of their people about how dawn will come, and this is a dark time, but there will be light. And she starts singing, and then some of your party starts singing, and then the entire crowd is singing, and, like, I'm sitting there weeping uncontrollably. <laughs> and, and this is, by itself, it was a very emotional moment in the game. Um... But the thing is that now if I go and watch that scene on YouTube, as I occasionally do, I will still weep uncontrollably. <laughs> uh, partially because it was very emotional. It was an emotional, emotional moment. moment. It was an emotional moment in the game. And also, like, I watched it, at, like, I was playing it at a time where I really hated my job. So they've become inexplic like, inexplicably t intertwined. And so I just, like, cry knowing that I hated my job and that I got out of it. But also because, you know... They came together as a people, <laughs> and they survived, and they thrived, darn it, and they're so strong. This is the same reason I cry at the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt soundtrack, <laughs> <laughs> the opening theme, which is an auto-tune news song, and I am not ashamed. <laughs> hey, that's, that's fair. If that's, that's what gets you, that's what gets you. You do you. You cry at, you cry at the stuff that makes you cry. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think. There, there are a couple of ones which stick out. Of course, Telltale's The Walking Dead is one of the big ones. All the Mass Effect games had moments. Probably the one which really <clears throat> sticks out for me the most as an emotional response is in Baldur's Gate 2. I played this when I was still pretty young and hadn't been exposed to that much stuff yet. It was one of the first more mature-oriented games that I played, and there is a moment where the villain captures one of your party members, and 
ends up conducting rather twisted and awful experiments on her. It, it's a game from, I believe it's 99, and it's just a little top-down view of him throwing little bolts of lightning, and it doesn't really make any sense, but you know what's happening. And I remember watching that and thinking, my, my god, what's going on here? I don't understand. This isn't okay. I need to fix this. And that, for me, was the first time that a game really got an emotional rise out of me that I specifically remember, because it was something I had never quite felt before. Connor, how about you, man? Hmm. This, is a, this is a really interesting question, actually. Because what I'm going to go with for this is, this is something that's been happening to me for a lot of games I've been, I've, I've been playing across my life. And actually, Grant and I have talked about this. But it's when I get hit emotionally by a game, it's to the point where I finish it, or I, I finish the certain point, where the emotional hit happens, and I just, I, it's like I, I don't, I feel very uncomfortable. I, it, it's, I, I feel unsettled. I can't play it for a, a while, or anything else for a while after that. And many games have done that for me. I think, though, uh, what I'm going to go with for one of the most notable early on um, was probably the first Bioshock. Because I had, I had played a bunch of games before that, but Bioshock was really the first game I had played where the narrative was just so intensive to me, and, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to spoil it in case any of you guys want to stop me. <laughs> but, no, if people haven't played it by now, they're probably not going to. I figured, and but with the first, yeah. well, in the first Bioshock, the whole point is you're, you crash land in the ocean, you end up in Rapture, you're fighting to help Atlas to overthrow Andrew Ryan and his whole regime, and just, there's a part, the climax in the middle of that game was just mind-blowing. In the sense that you meet Andrew Ryan, and right before that, it's revealed that everything you've been doing has been a result of mind control, and you and you just responding to a trigger. And it was like what? And it, it's one of those things where like you didn't even realize it. And as soon as they drop that point, you look back at the entire story behind the game, and you realize every single point has just been a result of you responding to a trigger. And it was like what? And then you go in, and Andrew Ryan forces you to kill him. With the fucking golf club. Using the same trigger. Using yeah. the same trigger. And it was it was just like, it shocked me. It honestly did. It, 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 it shocked me. I was like, oh my god. I had to save, I had to stop playing for days. Mm-hmm. Just because I was like, it, it just, it blew me away. I had never experienced anything like that in a game. So, so that hard was, to find anything like that anywhere, in anything. I don't think I've been hit like that necessarily the exact same way. It's been it's come close, though. Mm-hmm. I've, and I've got lots of other games that have done the same thing. But Bioshock, for me, first Bioshock, was the most notable one that, I, that comes to mind right now. Yeah. Grant, how about you? Uh, well, I want to come back later, because actually I think that that moment in Bioshock uh, wasn't for this, but was an eye-opening moment for me, just in the commentary it made on the nature of being a player in a story. I was going to say, that's something you can talk about, too. Yeah, I want to come back to that later. Um, For me, actually, this is when I was about 12 or 13, and I played the first Kingdom Hearts, right? Okay. And so when you get into Kingdom Hearts, you're like, oh, okay, it's like Final Fantasy and Disney, and like, Final Fantasy gets a little dark in some places, but... You know, oh, it's gonna, just going to be a Disney game, so I figured it'd just be kind of a fun action RPG, and you'd run around and hit stuff with a big key, and it'd be Disney movies. Um, but anybody who's played the Kingdom Hearts series knows that it never gets super, super dark, but it gets pretty dark considering the source material it draws off of. And the first Kingdom Hearts game, um, you know, for a multitude of complicated reasons surprise, the rival friend character ends up getting controlled by the bad guys. 
it basically comes down to the fact that the only way that Sora, the protagonist, can open the thing he needs to open to save the world, and save the universe even, is to release his other friend's heart, who is actually dwelling inside his body. So then it, it, you have this really difficult boss fight against Riku, uh, and he reveals that before the fight. So then after the fight, there's, there's a scene where Sora realizes what he has to do, and he it's like he takes his keyblade and basically he stabs himself in the chest in the middle of this arena and it get, goes into like slow-mo as he's falling and turning into little shards of light and everything and then of course because it's kingdom hearts they have to blunt the emotion by having Donald Duck <laughs> fall out to him because that was the great thing in both of those games was something very serious is happening right now we're having a very serious discussion you know what the best way to maintain the tone right now would be? Have Donald Duck say something. Anything. <laughs> Literally. Yeah, it's great. Um, and then, of course, Kyrie, who he's saving, wakes up from her comatose state just in time to run over to him and try to catch Sora as he's falling, and then he disappears and falls through her hands. Wow. And it's just sad and horrible, and I wasn't expecting it whatsoever. Um, so that, that's both, I think, the first time I can think of that a game really hit me, and also, still, I think, is the bar. I'm just like, oh, I just because you weren't, we weren't, I wasn't expecting it. I was not expecting. Oh, okay, this is the part where the main character commits suicide to save the world. Yeah, um, yeah. I then, need, I need ice cream. That yeah, caught me off guard. yeah, that caught me off guard. Yeah. So it for made me, that would be Duck that. Very depressed. Yeah, yeah, it made Donald Duck very sad. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So that was me. That was Kingdom Hearts. Uh, so Jessica, what about you? Uh, so definitely the most notable, easily, and I'm shocked that. Like, this Jeff here didn't say it. Mm. It's Stanley Parable. All right. Or, and, uh, okay, yeah. yeah, that's a good choice. No, so it... Nothing has shaken me to my core quite like Stanley Parable has. And, uh... So, if you haven't played it, you should. And play it with headphones in a dark room. <laughs> at 2 o'clock in the morning. At 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> when you're vulnerable. Sure, <laughs> and, and make sure you have, like, your security blanket, teddy bear, whatever, <laughs> waiting for you. Because you're going to need it. Because, like, you know, if you follow along with what the narrator says, you get, like, the quote-unquote happy ending. But there's nothing satisfying about that. And so then, you know, and no matter what, when the game ends, you just immediately start up again. And this is how the game works um but if you break from what the narrator is telling you to do you get a whole multitude of endings you know so there's like the first the first time i played the first thing i did was i went and i accidentally saw things before i was supposed to and it freaked me out so then i just started following the narrator again and i got the happy ending but it was kind of like eh. and then another time i broke away and i found the whole list of different endings that you can get and it was crazy and tree branches forever and it was shocking all kinds of interesting things as to how many ways this game can branch one of them continues to just like i'll have nightmares and get sick over it and essentially what it is is use so it's another one of you're not paying attention to the narrator but you pick a route that uh, basically there's just a staircase down into a hallway and at the top of the staircase um, there isn't a rail <laughs> like so 
very top of it, there isn't a rail. If you walk all the way down the staircase, there's like this room that has like ambient music and these flashing lights and it's all very calm and zen. And the narrator's like, here, why don't we just, you know, please, let's, you know, Stanley, please, just like, let's, let's stay here for a while. You know, isn't it nice here? And you can just stay there. But eventually you get really bored because you're just staying in a room with lights and ambient music. Yes. So then you go up to go leave and the door won't open. And so the only thing you can do, and you can go back to the room, and you can go up, you can go back, but the only thing you can do in order to get any kind of reaction out of the narrator, the only way to end the game is to go to the top of the stairs and jump, and you don't die. And he says, oh my god, Stanley, please don't do this. And so you have to go up to the top of the stairs and jump and you still don't die. And you have to keep doing this, and I... Oh. <laughs> I mean, like, I felt sick afterwards. Like, I, I needed some... Se- I, like, I was, I, was, uh, I was at my parents' place at the time I was playing this, and I went to my mom and just, like, sobbed into her shoulder. I was not okay. So, <laughs> like, it was just... I mean, like, because the other thing you can do, of course... The whole point of that is you could turn the game off, but why would you? <laughs> so does it just endlessly loop with you jumping and no, no, and the game and off? no, no, no. It it'll it'll keep going until you do eventually die, and okay. then the narrator is just weeping over okay. your death, mm-hmm. and then it starts up again. They just make you do it multiple times to make it hurt. Oh yeah, yep. and and then it oh, starts yeah. up again. And they just they just the, drag you through the show yeah. a little bit. Yeah, and then you're just sitting at the desk as usual, and then you start all over, and the narrator's you know doing what, and it's just I, it's, you know what that ending needed more of, Donald Duck. It did. It did. <laughs> Honestly, if Donald Duck were there, I would have been like, <laughs> like yeah, we're good. Uh, <laughs> oh, heartbreaking. Like, sickening. I still, like, talking about it is giving me shivers and my stomach doesn't feel right. I'm just glad a game gives you the actual existential dread that, you know, Groundhog's Day couldn't actually give you. <laughs> right? Yeah. the suicide scenes in Groundhog's Day are dark, but... But kind of funny. <laughs> they the funniest part of the movie. <laughs> just him dropping the toaster. Oh, Kills him every time. Yeah. Kills him every time, too. <laughs> well, um... But don't. So that's obviously... Like, what rocks you most emotionally or whatever, um, but how, uh, how do we get the, like, how do we get that good story? Like, how do you think we can deconstruct a good story to just some core elements that lead to good stuff? Does that make sense? Yeah. That was horribly phrased. No, I understand what you mean. (laughs) And I think if we look at everything everybody said... Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure really at the core of everything that everybody said was basically just having characters that you feel a connection to. I mean, Stanley Parable is a little bit of an odd one, but it sounds like part of what made... I mean, I haven't played it, but it sounds like part of what made that so emotionally affecting for you was the fact that it was the way the narrator was reacting to your actions. He sold it. Yeah, he absolutely oh, yeah, no. sold it. Without a doubt, the narrator... I mean, so the really interesting thing about the Stanley Parable, and I could probably talk about that game for a lifetime, but uh, essentially there are three characters. There's the narrator, there's Stanley, and then there's you. Right. And you are 
Stanley and you are not Stanley. And mm -hmm. so that's why there's like this weird blend of, it, it, it's really intriguing. And so like there's how the narrator is reacting to you and then there's how the narrator is reacting to Stanley. And that leads down some very interesting things and you create that connection both to the narrator and to Stanley. Yeah, because of course. He, you know, you, he's you, you gotta take care of him. But also, yeah. you gotta make sure he isn't stuck in this hopeless life of just constantly pressing buttons on a keyboard that for appear all on eternity. A screen in front for of all eternity. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and so like, you know, so there's that, and then like with Dragon Age, mm -hmm. we could, I mean, if I were to go back and watch it, we could probably have a whole conversation about who started singing in what order and what that says about their character development at that very moment. Imowen and Arenicus in the, mm -hmm. in the Baldur's Gate scene, absolutely. Yeah. Andrew Ryan, and then Mansoor and Riku, all incredibly well-drawn characters that, you know, had, that you forged that connection to over the course of the game in one way or another. I would um, hold that Arenicus is one of the best villains in video games. Well, it's also interesting that all of our examples kind of have a sense of betrayal, except mine, maybe, have yeah. a sense of betrayal in them. Mm -hmm. Like, you like saw someone tortured, and that's not something you realized could happen. You mm -hmm. realized you were mind controlled, that's not a thing that should happen. Your hero died. You had to commit suicide forever. <laughs> Quite <laughs> brutally. These yeah. are things that we, like... It's weird to say violation, but it's like something that we did not see coming. It, it, it was it was unexpected. Well, no, it was unexpected. Yours, it, there is an unexpected that, nature uh -huh. to it, right? Mm -hmm. It's not so much a betrayal; it's a happy accident yeah. sort of thing. But yeah. like, there's like hope where there was none. You didn't know that there could be uh -huh. something like that, and then it comes up unexpectedly, and uh -huh. it's it's the. It's the surprise. Mm -hmm. Well, and also, I think, uh, with yours, page, it does still count for that, because even though the moment itself isn't necessarily a betrayal or anything, it does come right after, uh, right after your main hub for the first act of the game, mm -hmm. has, that you're assuming is going to be your main hub for the whole game, mm -hmm. gets assaulted and burned to the ground. Yeah. I'd say it's a betrayal of your expectations. Huh? You expect everything to be dark and doom and gloom, and then they give you hope. Yeah. What? So our, uh, the four of ours, we all had things that were relatively dark going on, whereas with Dragon Age, kind of dark stuff had been happening that whole time, so yeah. the thing that made it, made it emotionally affecting was that you finally got to see the hope in what had basically been a dark game from minute one up to that point. So I yeah. think, uh, really, then what that's saying about what really affects us in story is when a game doesn't give us what we expect or what we think we wanted, but it gives us something more to chew on than we were going in for. Precisely. And, yeah. I'll, and I want to jump in here because, because I went to school for marketing somewhat and writing. And it, but part of the reason I actually really liked both of those uh, areas of focus mm -hmm. is because they overlapped a lot, actually. And one way in which they do is um, when I was taking my marketing classes, there's an idea behind how marketing just works overall. And the whole idea, well, part of the whole idea behind it is the concept of surprise and delight. Mm -hmm. Meaning... The main reason, uh, the main way you can actually please, you know, the people you're trying to sell a product or a service or an idea to, whatever it is, is if it's something that surprises them, meaning it's not something they expect, mm -hmm. but also that it delights them, meaning that it's something they didn't expect, but they like it, or it's made their situation better, it's made their experience better, it's made their feelings better. And I think mm -hmm. that's exactly what we're saying here, because unexpected does not mean good, necessarily. Mm -hmm. Unexpected can mean bad. Like you, there are tons of things, uh, moments I've had in games where something has hit me and I completely didn't see it coming, and I hated it. And not even just, not even just in the way like, 
oh, well, that makes me upset, because I'd argue that also works because it adds depth to the experience, right? I'm immersed right. now. I care more now. But it, I've had it happen where something unexpected happened, and I'm like, well, that was stupid. And it, it just, it just knocks, it knocks me out of the whole experience, and I'm like, well, I wish... Uh, well, that, well, that's unfortunate. I guess See, also, funny. all of Far Cry 3. <laughs> I, I would also argue Modern Warfare 2. Uh, yeah. Well, because the first Modern Warfare was so effective in its moment of betrayal and surprise and delight, and then in Modern Warfare 2, they tried to do the same thing four times. So I've just never, I've just never, I've never heard uh, the word delight used to describe getting hit by a nuke. That's, okay, that's fair. That's entirely fair. But well, you're absolutely it, it right. delighted us as the player. Yeah, you're absolutely so, right. Well, the term delight here may not specifically be like, oh, that delighted me. It's, it's, it's the idea that it, as like Paige said, it added to your experience. It gave, yeah. you, it gave you something more to, absolutely. to have fun it with. It took you further down the rabbit hole. Yes. Mm-hmm. So we've got uh, surprise and delight. We've got character connection. I'd like to add one more if possible. I would like to throw out brevity. As a core element, because... As a Metal uh, Gear fan, I'm offended by this statement. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, here, here, here's, the, here's the thing. Uh, when I say brevity, I don't necessarily mean using a small word when a diminutive one will do. What I mean... <laughs> what I mean is... There are times when you can belabor a point, and there are times when you can simply make one and move on, and the skill of knowing the difference can be very critically important. I want to go earlier in Dragon Age to Dragon Age Origins, where I remember when they were developing it, they were touting that the script was over 100,000 words. Well, more and than I that. I said to myself, well, is that, that, that's great, but does that mean the writing is good? Not necessarily. And there were plenty of moments where I had a five-minute conversation with someone that could have been done while still offering character development, while still offering depth of world, and I could have gotten it done in a minute and a half. And there, there's a difference between dragging the player experience out and offering what is necessary with a little bit more, enough to keep them entertained. And I think that form of brevity can be very important to telling a good story. I agree completely. And I, I think you actually touched on something good. Also important to that, though, to add on to that, is there is a difference between being forcibly dragged through a story <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and being given the opportunity to dive deeper. Yeah. And I think most people, in fact, I will say everyone, will mostly prefer to just be given the opportunity or easy access to dive deeper than forcibly be dragged through a story that they may or may not really care about. Again, Bioshock. Yeah. Stardew Valley. <laughs> Stardew Valley. Yeah. Bioshock, Stardew Valley, tomato, tomato. Yeah. And there, actually, there are a lot of tomatoes. <laughs> and tomatoes. Yeah. And actually, just another good example of diving deeper in a less story-oriented game, Gears of War 2 actually had collectibles where you would go by and just pick them up, and then there was a separate little menu that you could go into, and it would give you a little letter that you would get from Baird, one of the characters, talking about that collectible and what it means, what's going on. And it was a really interesting way to just say, hey, there is more here in a game which otherwise is all about decapitating people with a shotgun. It's There are definitely good ways to do it, and we need to see more of it. So I think I'm, I could be wrong on this, but I think 
that specific mechanic that was actually present in both Bioshock and Gears of War, just like the collectible that gives you more. I want to say that started with like Resident Evil. It may predate Resident Evil, but the, at least the earliest example I can think of off the top of my head was the old Resident Evils. You'd be wandering around, and it was just, oh, get from point A to point B, solve puzzles, and don't get eaten by zombies. But you'd find lab reports, you'd find letters, you'd find stuff that was just memos you could read through to give you a little more backstory on the world, or, and sometimes there might be the solution to a puzzle in there, but for the most part, it was just added flavor. Yeah. I would definitely say that, I mean, like... I know what you mean, that it started there for, like, your classic shooter yeah. type, but it, it very much was pulled from your cla just standard adventure gaming, right? Like, yeah. cause you pick Specifically up that format, though? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, like, in a lot of classic adventure games, you go around and you read stuff that is utterly useless, but you do it because, um, I mean, it gives you a sense of the world, but there's also a chance that you'll find the solutions and stuff in there. Most of the time, though, it's pretty useless. <laughs> Can I actually ask a question on that? Because sure. I actually haven't played it. I know many people here have, but or I haven't played all of it. But would Mist be an example of that? Yeah, I mean, like in Mist, yeah, I guess there are a lot of yeah, no, like there are a lot of solutions to puzzles that are everywhere, um, and so you feel the need to like look at everything and read everything, um, mostly because. You know, you have no idea what's actually going to be useful, but like 90% of it, maybe not quite that much, but quite a bit of it is just flavor. Yeah, but the flavor, I would argue, is kind of essential to what makes the game what it is. Oh, definitely. But my point is, like, technically speaking, you could take out a lot of that reading material... True. And just have the answers. Just to the have solutions the solutions to the puzzles. With like the tiniest <clears throat> bit of flavor in mm -hmm. there to make it seem yeah. quasi normal. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, and you could still get some really nice exploration. I mean, it's a yeah. gorgeous game, right? Yeah. Like, you don't need all of that reading material. Mm -hmm. But it's there and it works. It absolutely does. Well, and I don't know if this is me getting ahead of myself, uh, but I think that's one of the things that's interesting about video games as a medium is you can choose to some degree, depending on the game, how much story you want. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, precisely. Gears of War, Myth, like, and other games even, if you do more side quests, you get more story. If you look at more stuff, you get more story. But if you just want the core game, you can go through in a core game. Like a movie, you have two hours of material to give a story, and that's all you get. You know, a book, it's what's in the book. Maybe, like, you get a J.K. Rowling, Pottermore situation. But video games, they're... You two people could play through the game, and one of them would just get a really bare bones experience, and the other one would have like a whole world opened up to them. Mm -hmm. Precisely. Prime example of this in uh, Bioshock in the first level medical pavilion. I didn't know there was a dentist's office that you could visit. Oh my oh god, god, no! Until oh my god. third time playing through the game. I didn't realize you could get in there. I didn't well, either, actually. Yeah. The second time I no, I, I ran into that. That was the, that, I ran into the first time I played it. Would, I just was playing on my brother's file and I did it. Oh god. Yeah. Well, I mean, in uh, Metal Gear Solid uh, like Phantom Pain, there is a whole character and storyline that you can just ignore. If you don't go into this one room, it's gone. Yeah, there's a, there's a whole side thing um, that, yeah, it's just, it's the story never brings you there, never draws attention to it. On your mother base, there's just a door that you can open, and if you go in, there's a whole, there's a whole side story in there. 
and you can easily ignore it. I was talking to my friends like, hey, have you done this thing in the medical wing yet? And he went, what are you talking about? And he was like <laughs> three quarters of the way through the game. Right. And I was like, oh, dude, go do that. And you could go through the whole game without it. Fascinating. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. I'm... Yeah. I think that's something unique that games have that you can't... I mean, you, you can hide little Easter eggs like that in TV or mm-hmm. movies or something, but it's much easier to hide cool little things like that. Um, like, one that I didn't discover until my second or third playthrough of Psychonauts yeah. is in one of the tutorial levels of Psychonauts. You're inside the brain of Mia Vodello, who's one of uh, just the sort of like this sort of hippy dippy guidance mm-hmm. counselory, really laid back psychonaut who trains you. Just one of the basic tutorial levels, and it's teaching you how to use your little psychic ball thing to move around quickly. And there's a there's a half pipe at one part of the track that okay. if you go back and forth on the half pipe, you can get up into a secret ledge that isn't there, that, that you know you can't normally see. You can yeah. get up into a little secret ledge and you go in. And it actually, I was reminded of it when you mentioned the Stanley Parable thing, mm-hmm. because the entire time you're doing the tutorial, she's talking to you mm-hmm. through a loudspeaker because you're inside her brain. Yeah. And she says, like, oh, don't, don't bother going in there. The party's still in here. But if you go in there, and it's like a weird sort of lava lamp 70s psychedelic mm-hmm. world, you go into that random little room, and it's just a little room with a safe, and there's fire and screaming children. And if Ooh. you go and open the safe, you get one of those little, uh, just a little story slideshow thing mm-hmm. that gives you a little backstory about how she was like the matron of an orphanage and at one point the orphanage caught on fire and she wasn't able to save any of them and it was her you know burden she carried her entire life oh and there's this traumatic thing that she has portioned off in yeah. this little part of her brain that she doesn't want you to see and you can find that never comes up never important a little motivation to a mostly one note character yeah a little more depth huh. and you can't do that in a movie no, yeah no. i think I think what we keep coming back to here is that video games have the unique aspect of the more you put into it, provided the developer put it there, the more you can get out of it. Sometimes. I'm, it, like, this is a kind of one of those things where with video games, there there's a lot more material that you get right off the bat, mm-hmm. I feel. So, like, you can explore on your first playthrough a lot more in a game than you can in a movie. Yeah. Well, once you hit 100% completion, well, you're, you've hit 100% completion. As opposed to, like, a book or a movie, you can play through it over and over, and you get different things from it every time just because you're looking at it from a new angle. And you can kind of do that with video games. But, say, what prevents you from doing that with a game? Because yeah. I, uh, I mean, every time I, pl- I re- every time I replay through Metal Gear, I get something new out of it. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, uh, with certain games, there's so much to them that it'll take you a really long time to get something, you know, to get all of the different things that you can pull from it, right? Like, but like, I don't know. For instance, I'm trying to think of a good example here, like uh, probably. The Assassin's Creed games. I know I keep going back to them, but I played through them many times, and I do still pull stuff from them. But once you get through a couple playthroughs, you're you're done. Like there's nothing else to pull. It's just the whatever's with the game, as opposed to like I can read and reread the same book over and over, and because I'm coming to it with new eyes, there's more there, right? Um, it. I guess it depends I mean, on the game. It, it depends, yeah, it depends on the game. It depends on the, game, depends on the book. It depends on the book. It just... It depends on how much the developer or author put into it. Uh-huh. I've played Bioshock probably 12 times by now, 
every single time I got new stuff out of it. I played it a different way, which allowed me to experience it in a different way, and I felt differently about the game. I've read, I'm trying to think, I've read iRobot probably four times now, and I got slightly different experiences. It, it stays much more homogeneous. But it's really a measure of how much the person creating it put into it, which allows you to get as much out of it as you can. That's that's what I'm trying to say. So I hear you. Um, and I, I hate to burst your bubble. I'd say the Assassin's Creed games, they didn't put that much into the later ones. Not the so, later ones, but the early ones. The early ones, absolutely. And you've um, played those a couple of times. Yeah, I've, I mean, like, but even so, like, probably after the second playthrough, it was the same game. Right, yeah. um, and that's true for most games for me. Whereas I get much more out of books and movies, which is why I sort of mm -hmm. right. Just because you get a different sense for things. I don't know. I can I, I'll I can attest to the fact that I may not know anything here. <laughs> like, well, none of us know anything. Yeah. I know. I just sort of like from my perspective, at least. <clears throat> I get a lot more from the first playthrough of a video game than I do a movie or a book, but I get more from the second go-through of a book or a movie than I do of a game. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think it could also do with the focus of what you're going into for the genre. I mean, obviously we do go for games that make us think or else we wouldn't be playing Bioshock. Yeah. But we also play a lot of games that don't necessarily need to make us think. I mean, like, I've played Sonic Adventure 2 Battle so many times, and do I need to think? <laughs> no. I don't even need to think to go through the level, because I know it by now. Like, yeah. But I will go back to it. Wait, you mean like, Shadow the Hedgehog isn't an edgy and deep character? <laughs> Shadow the Hedgehog is the most edgy and deep character. Oh, I just can't plumb the depths of his darkness. This is just, yeah. Why haven't, why you obviously just didn't get it. Why haven't we been talking about the Shadow game this whole time? <laughs> there you go, the pinnacle of storytelling. Like, so, I mean, I think... I'm not going to go down the stupid Roger Ebert you know, video games aren't art thing because I don't believe that, but I think a lot of times we do just go for games. Like, uh, Connor played through the great and brilliant Shower With Your Dad, which <laughs> I could play for hours. Well, Shower With Your Dad Simulator 2015. I, I'm sure that when you come back to that in a few years, even if, you know, one day you come back to it as a father, you will not get more out of the experience of showering with your dad. <laughs> You're probably right. Yeah, I'll tell you, it's fair as... Fair, fair. So the but shocking development that we've discovered here is that, hey, video games are different. Yeah, so some yeah. video games, you know, focus more on story, while every book and movie has to focus to some degree on story, even if that story is, let's give Tom Cruise a reason to blow things up. This is true. Yeah. All right. He needs no reason. <laughs> Scientology and his rage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Slight amount of cocaine. <laughs> All right, well... Okay, so then if we're focusing more on video games that are focusing on story, what would be some other, like, advantages, disadvantages, do you think? Well, I think, I, we went to see, Zo Grant and I went to see Zootopia the other day, and one of the trailers beforehand was for the Ratchet and Clank movie. And, like, I've watched, I haven't played Ratchet and Clank, I've watched Grant play Ratchet and Clank, and it's kind of fun to watch someone play Ratchet and Clank, because they're going through, they're trying to figure things out, and people are saying clever things. But watching the movie trailer, it just seemed too slick and put together, even though it looks exactly the same. Because it took away some of the element of struggle, because it's not interactive. Mm -hmm. um, just like, 
when you're watching someone else play, you can see, like, their hiccups, their challenges. And I'm not saying characters can't be challenged in movies or else we'd never have conflict in film. But to some degree, it's an experience that's been put together for you. So when you go from an experience that you are going through and you are kind of turning a path, even if it's a railroaded path, and you take that away and you just put it to be a path that a film executive has put forward for you, it loses some of the charm. That's why I feel like everyone who always says, like, oh, we need a Legend of Zelda movie, and I stop and I think, no, we don't. <laughs> no. Because a Legend of Zelda movie either wouldn't be Zelda or would be watching some pretty blonde actor walk around and go, wait, okay, can I hit with my boomerang? Ah, no, not quite enough range. Okay. Uh, what about over ah, I need a key. Right, hold on, let me check my map. Except he wouldn't talk. So yeah. we would just be watching a dude be puzzled for an hour and a half. And yell, like, what? <laughs> what? I don't know. Yeah. That could be a fun YouTube series. Watch a guy be puzzled for an hour. Or like there was an announcement. Of a, there was actually there was an announcement a couple years back that they were looking into a mist movie. And I, I think it was Penny Arcade. Penny Arcade. Did Penny Arcade. Yeah. I'm like, okay. What if I pull this lever? Okay, that doesn't do anything. What about this one? Nope, I think that did something. Let me go back and check here. Missed the movie. <laughs> last, last panel was missed. Coming, coming to theaters. It's like, what does this lever yeah. do? Well, I forget what my point was when I started talking. Well, but, but I think that's why oh, yeah, we've right. had trouble like making a good video game adaptation to film. I mean, like Scott Pilgrim is probably the best video game movie, and it was based off of a book. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's because to turn a video game into a movie, you have to take away the element of interactivity. And I'm not saying that's the most important part of any storytelling experience, but by taking it away, it's highlighting something that you have and you don't have anymore. While if you take a movie and turn it into a video game, you're adding the element of, here's something you loved, go play in it. Actually, I had that thought earlier, too, of talking a lot about how why story matters in video games and, and, and what, what really makes it, why is it different with video games and with, with, with books or with movies or mm -hmm. plays, even, anything else. And... Because some video games do give you that ability to kind of branch off, do whatever you want, but a lot of video games, the story is pretty railroaded, right? There's a track you follow. It's for the most, more or less on rails. You have to go this way. That's just how it is. You have to go this way to progress. But there are plenty of games that do have that structure, and they're still, they still come out at the end by having very, very good stories, and everyone loved them. So I think it's weird, because we think that the whole on-tracks thing is generally a bad thing, because that makes you feel... But the, the reason we think that's a bad thing is because that implies a player has no choice. And what matters, and what gives a lot of people that, that feeling of engagement and joy with video games in particular, is they have a choice. Mm -hmm. and, or even, like you said, it's, it's interactive. They get to directly make decisions and act within this game's world and this story to make things happen. And even when it's on rails, you can have that interactivity. You can still have them make choices, and it affects things differently, or they feel like they're involved. As long as that's there, I think that, that makes people feel engaged. Mm -hmm. and, that's, and that's really what makes stories enjoyable. It's if you're not engaged, then the story may as well not be there. You don't care. Yeah. So other advantages, disadvantages of games is a storytelling medium. Um, the big disadvantage I see is just accessibility. Because, like, I, there is, I mean, no book that, I mean, there are some books that are deeper than I can read. Like, I probably would not get everything from, you know, James Joyce's Ulysses. But, if I stuck to it, I could read every word in that book going front to back. Like, there is no movie that if I sit and focus and put my eyes on the screen for two hours, I will have finished it. Like, I don't care if it's, like, a David Lynch movie. I will have watched it. I might have to watch it a few times and still hate it. 
but I finished it. <laughs> um, but, like, for an example, Infamous Second Son. I watched Grant play for it. I was interested in it. I wanted to play it. I have still not finished it, and it is sitting on my shelf because I cannot finish it. I don't, I don't know, you know, what happens in the later parts of the games except what Grant has told me, because I do not have enough skill to finish it. And so video okay. games can bar access after a certain point if you do not have, like, the brain power or the finger that's a very good. That's a very good point. The gameplay can completely get in the way of, of the story. It's, yeah. it's, it, if you can't get past a certain point... <clears throat> Either just because of you're not used to it, or you don't have the the, the brain power to do it. I mean, I I couldn't I could not progress in XCOM. Mm -hmm. My own personal experience here. I could not progress in XCOM Enemy Unknown when it came out because I could not get past uh, the base level. Mm -hmm. I would keep dying every soul because I I had never played really that many tactics oriented games. I, I didn't have the I didn't have the mind for it. I didn't know what I was doing, and I was doing it. And after seeing, actually, all of you guys play it, yeah. you guys were all so much better than me. <laughs> I was watching you do it, I went, oh, I guess that makes sense. And I just changed my, I changed the way I was playing it, suddenly I could blow through it, finish it, it was great. I, I enjoyed it very much, one of my favorite games. <laughs> I, I remember I got to the first, like, ter terrorizing mission where you have to rescue civilians, and you were out, so you came home, and I just finished it, I was like, yeah, I just got through the first terror mission. I only lost two civilians, you just went, what the fuck? Yes, it blew, I was like, what? No, I, I couldn't beat them. Every single one I played, I lost. I know. They killed me every time. I got my first rating back as like a B, and Connor goes, seriously? <laughs> yeah, how did you get a B? Moreover, like, uh, how did you guys have generals? Yeah. The furthest I ever got was a lieutenant, and then they just died. It was yeah. like, how do you do... So, but yeah, I understand completely, and that is a very good point, I think. And it I can think be a barrier. We can all understand completely when we look at Dark Souls. I mean, like, oh, to be no. fair, <laughs> Dark Souls is one that the whole point of the game is... You like, will die. You will die, and if you can't play... It, like, if you can't finish this game, then you're just a puss. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, it's supposed to bar access, and I think there should be games out there that do that, because, you know, then there's challenge to be met if you are of that skill level. But yeah. It does suck when a game gets so popular, like Dark Souls got, that like you really want to finish because there is some good stuff in there, but it is just a motherfucker. <laughs> Bloodborne. I'd say try Bloodborne. It's a little bit more accessible. It's a bit more fast-paced. Oh, exactly. Even Dark Souls 2 was a little bit... like Dark Souls 2 was significantly easier than yeah. Dark Souls 1, yeah. and Bloodborne seems to be... Kind of the nice blend of the two yeah. um, sort of thing. We'll see how Dark Souls 3 goes. Long story short, Dark Souls... Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I think a really interesting definition, or I think a very interesting break between what a movie and a video game can be is looking at the Kingdom Hearts remixes, uh, 1.5 and 2.5. Because there are multiple games on each one, a Kingdom Hearts game, a side game that you actually need for the plot, and then another side game that you actually need for the plot that they've cut down to only cutscenes. They've mm -hmm. just taken all the cutscenes out of the game, sometimes put a little bit of text in between them saying, this is what happened during the actual gameplay, and try to make it make sense in the cutscenes. And that sounds infuriating. Oh, it's, it was it's maddening. <laughs> like I played one of the games, and I was like, "Oh, let's watch the movie of it," because you because she needed to get caught up, and I didn't feel like 
I mean, it's not a very good game, so yeah. I didn't. Yeah. I wanted to spare her the experience. Yeah. So I'm sitting there like I hadn't played it in a while, so I'd forgotten some stuff. And we're both sitting there watching, and I'm just like, I have no idea what's happening. No, like you don't know what's happening because even when they fill you in for what happens during the gameplay, yeah. they forget little things along the way. It's okay. like when you're telling a friend about a movie, but you've forgotten half of it. Yeah. But then at the same time, it's also just more boring. Um, and I like just because. Part of what binds it together is that interactivity, and they kind of give themselves a little bit of a pass on making a high-quality movie because there's video game in between it. Mm -hmm. But when it turns into just a movie, you get really bored. Well, there's no payoff. And it just keeps going. There's no payoff. Yeah. In a movie, you get the payoff of, oh, this is building, this is building, this is building, and then the climax happens, and that's your payoff of the story. Whereas in a video game... If it's a good video game, the payoff is going to be at least somewhat gameplay-related. Yeah, you're going to beat something big. Yeah, so it was, it was funny, actually, watching the Kingdom Hearts thing, because it would be a cutscene, and then it would be like, blah, and turn into a big monster, and there'd be the tense music, and you pull out your Keyblade, and you're ready to fight, and it just fades to black and goes to the next cutscene. Yeah. <laughs> because because there was no cutscene there, it was just gameplay, and you fight it. And it's, it's fun when you fight it, but at it doesn't work in the movie. In there, it got dead. You know. And then it died. <laughs> it was super cool. One thing led to another. The boss fight had four different forms. Lots of explosions. So I think just like video, if you directly try to translate the two, it's not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. It's always interesting how how people try to do it too. I mean, like we've already talked about a few. One of my favorites is just that Prince of Persia movie. Uh, like, I tried to watch that. It, it was so bad. It wasn't good. It really wasn't. I mean, like, <laughs> I actually wouldn't even say it was bad. It was just sort of like, it It was potato salad. It, it was, occurred. You know, like, yeah. It was just sort of there, and it was like, okay. Um, and you kind of see where they got it, and you're like, okay. But then, like, What's frustrating is it, it, that Prince of Persia movie was, of course, based entirely off of Prince of Persia Sands of Time, which is still one of my favorite games. And I love that game. I watched this movie and I'm like, well, they didn't really totally fuck it up. Um, <laughs> Not uh, completely, but... <laughs> but then, uh, you know, one that's coming out really soon that I'm kind of curious about, but it just because of the nature of it being a game adaptation is uh, that movie Hardcore. Um, Hardcore Henry. Hardcore Henry, I think, is actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah where, uh, you know, it's entirely filmed in first person, which will be interesting, because it, it does, like, based off of the trailers that I've seen and, and stuff, it, it looks like it's very much meant to be, like, you're sitting on the couch watching your friend play a video game sort of thing, which can be really fun. So... Depending on the choices they make there, it could be an actually pretty okay movie adaptation of a game. Yeah. It's getting 89% on Rotten Tomatoes right now. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, no, it's doing that's, really well. That's cool. really good for yeah. a, a game to hear adaptation. That. Yeah. that seemed to me yeah. it was either going to be great or flop. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's how a lot of video game movie adaptations look, is that it's going to be like, well, that could be really cool, but chances are it'll suck. Need I remind you of Tomb Raider? No, you no, you need not. <laughs> or it's an explicable sequel. Yeah. Yeah. The sequel. What sequel? Yeah. What sequel? <laughs> Actually, the first Tomb Raider, kind of watchable. Yeah, enjoyable. Second Tomb Raider, you go, why, Angelina? Why? why? <laughs> That's kind of like the Mortal Kombat movies. The Mortal yeah. Oh, man, oh. I love the Mortal Kombat movies. Mortal Kombat movies are great. I will, I will, in terms of strictly just, we took a specific video game and turned it into a specific movie, I still think The King is the first Mortal Kombat. 
Oh, man, I don't know. I think uh, I think the Silent Hill movie, specifically where she, like, trips right at the beginning, brilliant. Yeah, because you always trip on that spot exactly. in the actual it, game. It is just yep. it, 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 classic, beautiful. Yeah. The difference is the Mortal Kombat movie was based in a video game that's actually good. Or Moving on. Oh. <laughs> really quick, if you haven't seen, I'm telling everyone here, including the audience, if you haven't seen the Street Fighter movie with Jean-Claude Van oh, Damme, God. go watch it right oh, God. now. That sounds fascinating. It I is, haven't seen that yet. It, I, it was on Netflix. Netflix years ago, uh-huh. back when I first got Netflix, I'm like, Street Fighter the movie, let's watch this. And I'm like, oh god, this is a glorious train wreck. And uh, <laughs> Ming-Na, Ming-Na Wen, who voiced Mulan in Disney's Mulan, yeah. and who's Agent May right now on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., she played Chun-Li. Oh, that's oh she awesome. did? Yeah, she was Chun-Li. That's it's awesome. great to look back at it. No. Jean-Claude Van Damme was guile. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it was guile. Anyway. Well, and I think, actually, I'm going to go back to uh, Scott Pilgrim, because it is a really interesting example of something that was a book that was turned into a movie and a video game. Um, and they weirdly work together. They um, do. Yeah, because the book explores a lot of things that the movie and the video game do not explore. It's got a lot more space to move around because the mm-hmm. video game is just a side-scrolling brawler. Yep. The video, like the movie, is tighter than the books. Like the books have a lot of weird loose ends that all come up in the sixth volume and then are never really explained. So the movie is a nice tight package that's beautiful to look at. Mm-hmm. And the video game just means you get to beat stuff up as Scott Pilgrim. And do you really want? other things than that. I like to imagine that the video game is a video game that Scott made about his life after the events of the books. Which explains all the lesbians. Explains all the lesbians, okay. yeah. yeah. I can believe that. And, mm. and fighting the giant monster at the end. Yeah. yeah. No, mm. and so I think that yeah. that's a weird example where they explore all three, me- or, you know, not all three, there's yeah. no, you know, Scott Pilgrim play, but they <laughs> explore different mediums and, like, show some of the strengths of each one. Yeah. I, I would like to just throw this out there. I find it interesting that one of the most successful examples, Scott Pilgrim, of having a book, a movie, and a video game, actually all three did rehash the same events, no matter how you spin it, whether it's Scott Pilgrim coming back and making a game, or whether you have more space or whatever it is. They're all three rehashing Scott Pilgrim and his relationship with Ramona, dealing with his her seven evil exes. While as I really think that most of the time what you have to do is look at a look at a movie and say where can this fit in to the video games universe where can this benefit there's already a pre-existing story this game has hashed out this one particular thing you don't necessarily need to retell it with the movie and i think a good example of that was prince of persia sands of time they took the time to rehash the entire first game to no real benefit nothing was added nothing was really gained nothing happened well, as if you were to go back to, and I know I don't shut up about it, Bioshock, there's the first Bioshock, there's Bioshock 2, which kind of finishes up Rapture's storyline, there's Bioshock Infinite, which I'm not even going to get into, and then there is talk of a movie, it's been in and out of the news for the past, what, five years Long now? time. Probably longer. Long, very long time. And I keep thinking, they could do a great job dealing with the founding of Rapture. You wouldn't even have to bill it as a Bioshock movie. Just call it Rapture and have it be about this guy, Andrew Ryan, who's a pure capitalist and wants to get away from the parasite big government. Played by Tom Hanks. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But you could do that, and it would be absolutely fascinating. There would not be that much action or anything like that, but you could do it, and it would be great, and people would watch it. Mm -hmm. And I think that that we've seen the reverse of that really well in Telltale's games. 
Uh, in oh. Telltale's The Walking Dead, that takes place with a different group of people on the TV mm -hmm. show, uh, in Telltale's uh, uh, Wolf Among Us, it happens before the Fable comics and after some of the Fable comics that get flashed back to, so it's an interesting middle point that we haven't seen before. So there is more tension in the story. When you're watching like a movie that is just a rehash of a video game, you know what's going to happen. You don't really care. I mean, it's kind of the same problem you've got with movie adaptations of books when you've already read the book. Yeah. But when you're exploring a different subset, you don't know, like, you don't know who's going to be okay at the end. Whether mm -hmm. it means they're going to live or die or just have their lives ruined or mm -hmm. they're going to win the lottery. You have no idea. And it gets to explore uh, another bit of the world, which makes the world itself more rich by looking at something different. Kind of moving on away from, like, movie adaptations, because we got stuck on a little bit of a tangent. Um, I'm curious as to, we know what a good story is. When do you think that actually saves a game? So when is a game kind of crap, but, you know, like, you, you hit run into a lot of glitches or have a lot of problems, but you can't stop because you just, you gotta know what happens next. Well... Um, I'm, I'm going to say, my example, the game, the gameplay isn't necessarily crap, but <laughs> I feel... Crap being a loose term. Crap being a loose term. I wouldn't go as far as to say it's crap, but I think the gameplay in Eternal Darkness, Sanity's Requiem, is not the most thrilling. I remember when I was in high school, I lent it to a friend of mine, and then he brought it back the next day saying, it's dumb, it's a crappy game because you just run around in circles and... Just chop the enemy, like like chop off an enemy limb, run around in a circle, and then come back and keep hitting it, and then none of the combat's ever challenging. And I didn't have the words for it back then because I was fourteen. But what I would say to that guy now is, well, okay, one, it's not quite that simple if you stick with it for more than the first two levels. But two, that's not the point. You know, the gameplay in in that game is very straightforward. The controls are a little bit tanky and weird. It you know from a gameplay perspective, it's not anything mind blowing, but the way the story is presented, the way you get into each of the characters' heads, the way it all comes together, the sort of weird creative eeriness of it all, and the emotional payoff of the ending, all come together to a game where yeah, without its story, it would have been an entirely forgettable experience. Well, I would say even the whole genre of adventure point and click games. Yeah, I'm not saying it's a crappy gameplay because it's what they're going for, but. If there wasn't a story behind it, it's basically at the same level as a flash, you know, hidden picture game where you're looking for things, you find the thing you need, and you put it in the thing, other thing that you need. But because they've got a really good story behind it, you care. I yeah. mean, something like Monkey Island is pretty simple, but it's funny, and it's interesting, and you're compelled. Yeah. I... My example that I'm thinking of is, again, having to use crap as a very loose term... Fallout New Vegas. The gameplay the gameplay itself, when it worked, was great. <laughs> but that's the key thing, is when it worked. That game, when it dropped, was the buggiest piece of garbage I have ever played in my life. Actually, I was gonna I was just thinking like, what are you talking about? I really that game handles really well, but I remember now when it first dropped there was a bunch of oh, bugs. I when you gave Boone a stim pack and he lost ten thousand health and died. Yes. I remember <laughs> stabbing him in the eye with a stim pack. I also remember I was just Walking south from Good Neighbor, or what? No, not Good Neighbor. Wherever. Good Springs. Good Springs was the name of the town. Just walking south. Nothing around. I died. <laughs> 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 
Just, just passed out from sunstroke or something. I don't yeah, know. Aneurysm is a bit too realistic for Fallout. <laughs> exactly, you know? You were playing hardcore mode. I was not playing hardcore mode that time. Uh, but no, Fallout New Vegas, great game, fantastic story. One of the best I've encountered in video games, top ten, without a doubt. Oh my god. <laughs> so that that is, you, there is at least one time. I think that applies to any Bethesda game, really. Well, that wasn't Bethesda, but well, it it depends. Yeah. So, what I'm what I'm hearing then, because I I actually I, in term, I don't really have a specific example on top of my head for this, but it sounds mm-hmm. a lot like kind of what we were. I know we sort of loosely talked about this before, but what really when a, when a game story, how a game story can save a game that is otherwise bad, is when we perceive the reward of moving forward to the story or seeing what's next as worth as worth going through the suffering <laughs> that, that is this game the, the whole point of it being rewarding right mm-hmm. we wouldn't do it if it wasn't rewarding it's kind of at the right. core of, that's kind of at the call of all human behavior almost ever but I'm, <laughs> I'm sure i don't have to tell, tell you tell you that jessica because you've learned about this many times in psychology course but um but yeah it seems that, that that has to be the whole point though the story has to be something that we is valuable to us that we like like this sucks i don't want to do it but if I don't do it, I won't find out what happens next. And for some games, it's like, I can live without that. <laughs> for, for some games, it's like, I don't know if I can live without that. Yeah. I think I gotta know. You guys remember GTA 4? Oh. <laughs> oh, God, yes. Oh, my God. Why did I think of that? It's so compelling. I still have not finished it. Uh, <laughs> because the gameplay got to me a little too much. Uh, I, you know, occasionally I jump back and I'll get a little bit further, but then I get frustrated and then I set it down and then I forget about it for a lifetime. But compelling enough that months, even years after setting it down, I still go back because... God damn it, I gotta know what happens to Nico. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, spoilers, he goes bowling. Uh, <laughs> he also goes to see big American titties. God damn it, Roman. Gonna... <laughs> <sighs> yeah. yeah. God, Final 4 did have such a great story. Uh, that, that, that is, uh, thank you for saying that. Thank you. Yeah, no, but... it had a fantastic story that is unbelievably compelling, but God, the, the game can be very broken. I mean... You've seen me drive around. Part of that is I'm a terrible driver in video games. The, the wheel, the and, wheels and are made of the wheels are made of soap in yeah, GTA 4. It's one of yeah. those things where it's like I know I'm not great at driving in video games, but oh my god! <laughs> After a while, I gave up. I just I drive. I crash the car in some glorious explosion. <laughs> it flips like eight times. I kind of roll out of it and I brush myself off. Walk up to another car that's driving up punch the guy in the face, steal his car, and move on because I need to get to this spot. It's the fastest way to travel. I know. Yeah. It's like, and heaven forbid I end up in a race because <laughs> you can't do it in those. Oh, and, Brucey. Uh, or, Brucey, Brucey. Or if you need to escort anybody anywhere, my dates suck because it's like, <laughs> Terrible. You, have, you have to follow the traffic laws a little bit more and you can't crash. They'll, and they'll get out like, and leave. They'll get out and leave. <laughs> Let's so get out of the like, car. All right, my romantic life is suffering because I cannot fucking play this game. You don't understand the driving laws of this country. <laughs> it's wonderful, but it's awful. Yeah, GTA 4 is the most compelling Grand Theft Auto game I've ever seen. I mean, I, I haven't played many of them, but I played 2, uh, or no, no, I played 3, Vice City, 4, and 5. And 5, I enjoyed greatly. 4, to me, though, in terms of just story, 
way better. My personal opinion, significantly better. But I, five I, I, definitely had the incredibly polished gameplay that. I, yes. I, I would kill for them to remake 4 with the gameplay of 5. Yeah, right? it, it like, would, I would say just, it would be excellent. It doesn't even have to look better. I just just put those mechanics into the game. I'll deal with the old school graphics. I just want to be able to play 4. <laughs> Someone's probably working on a mod for that oh, as I'm we sure. speak. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, I just need to get it on PC, and I'm sure it's fine at this point. But, like, you oh, know. the mods make it fine, so. That's what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, um, I mean, like, uh, on the flip side, then, is there a, any sort of game or situation that you can think up where you get the story ruining the game? Where, like, the gameplay actually works pretty well, but the story is just not good. Yes, I have actually a, a great example for this, and Jeff actually brought it up earlier. Not, not in this context, but... For me, the first Modern Warfare, Call of Duty 4, mm. great all-around game. Yeah. I was like, the gameplay, and that was when, that was when I remember uh, Infinity Ward, who developed Call of Duty 4, really, really kind of nailed down the gameplay formula of po pointing and shooting. Yeah. Everyone loved Modern Warfare. It, it was just, it was fun to play, it was, it was well made, everyone enjoyed it, and the story was very good. I, I, I felt that the story and the gameplay worked together perfectly. I'm they like, did. I was so satisfied with modern, the first Modern Warfare. It, it's then Modern Warfare 2 came. <laughs> <laughs> then everything changed. Everything yeah. changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Well, it never changes. Except in this case, it, it did. Um, modern Warfare 2 comes out. And as Jeff said before, in, the gameplay was the same, if not better. Because they had already polished it to a point of like near perfection. Yeah. You didn't have to change anything. The shooting mechanics were great. Just running around, moving throughout the levels. We can tell the they levels. were perfect because they haven't changed since. Nope. Yeah, they that's work. really true. Yeah, the gameplay works. Solid. The way you move throughout the game. Level design. Pretty solid. But what they did in Modern Warfare 2 was, as Jeff said earlier, they kind of tried to do the same thing with Modern Warfare 4. Or, 4. As <laughs> in the first Modern Warfare, where they had that successful climax and the, oh, the betrayal moment and, oh, wow, the, the, it built up and it exploded in this glorious ending and it, it scales down in a way that we're like, wow, what a, what a ride. Modern Warfare 2 was like, we're going to do that now, and now, and now, and you just got, and it just kind of kept roller coastering, and you're like, what the hell is even happening? Was it 2 where you randomly play as an astronaut for one level? No. No, that was, that was Black Ops 3? Oh, Ghosts, yes, Call of Duty Ghosts. Yeah. I believe it was your astronaut. Ghosts was also such a terrible story. Actually, no, 2 may have been. No, yeah, 2, actually, two. you had the one where it was the, like, you're The Russians set up an EMP. Yeah, and so then you so look, oh, and you see the explosion yeah. from orbit. Yes. Yeah. Just, and you get shot off into space yeah. by the EMP. And you know, is, by the way, some random astronaut also died. And you know yeah. why? Because they forced you through it. They yeah. dragged your ass up into space, <laughs> put you in an astronaut where you couldn't even do anything. You just sat there and watched. And to be fair, in Modern Warfare, in the first Modern Warfare, there was the, the, nuke, the nuke moment where you got knocked out of your helicopter, your whole platoon died because a nuclear bomb went off. And all you can do is wander around as the freaking nuclear wasteland becomes reality. And it's jarring, and it's very, very well done. But the gameplay suited the way the story was going. It fit. It felt like this is all you could do. I, I wasn't like, why can't I run around? Why can't I go shoot this thing? I was like, oh, wow, this is bad. I can't run because I just got hit by a nuclear bomb. Yeah, and they just yeah. drag your ass up. For Marvel 2, they drag your ass up into space, and they're like, oh, here comes an EMP. Uh, oh, okay. Oh, that's bad. I guess I can't. Oh, here I go. <laughs> yeah. And that's it. And it was... 
And throughout Modern Warfare 2, it was the same thing. It was the gameplay was so good, but the story just left so much to be desired. I wasn't satisfied. It had all these climactic moments, or at least moments that were supposed to be climactic, and they never hit me the same way they did in Call of Duty 4. And the reason I think that they didn't hit me that same way is just because the way it was structured. It wasn't this big build-up over time and then a climax. It was just lots of short little climaxes, and they want. I could tell they were just kind of trying to force me into feeling feeling like this was supposed to be important or I'm supposed to be scared or jarred by it, but I wasn't. They were trying to punch the adrenaline button again and again and again, and it didn't work. Well, I think what's also interesting is, you know, you were talking about Modern Warfare 2, which is a game where just the story kind of sucked, mm-hmm. right? Kind of is a, yeah. not a strong enough word. Like, it was oh, a- we're dark and edgy because there's a mission where you shoot civilians and we're going to accidentally leak it. I'm making giant air quotes. Uh, you know, because that totally wasn't a publicity stunt. I forgot about that. Yeah, no, the obvious publicity stunt there. So, like, you know, there's that, where the story was just terrible to begin with. But I think what's almost worse is when you get a game where the story's good and good and good, and then it just all falls to shit. That'll, that, that, I think that is almost worse. Yeah. So for me, the big example of that, whenever anybody mentions it, uh, talks about just games where the story ends up being a letdown, for me, that's Final Fantasy X. And I know there are places where I get, like, strung up by my fingernails for saying that, but I'm sorry, the story of that game was terrible, because (laughs) the first, like, two-thirds of it are really well executed. Of the entire franchise, it has the best world-building, the main characters are well-developed, even if the secondary characters aren't so much. It's got an interesting conflict, it all works really well, and you're invested, and you're into it, even if it's got hiccups here and there. And then, um, at the end-ish, in the last act of the game, uh, two major plot developments occur. Well, one halfway and one near the end. These two major plot developments occur that both completely shatter one of the basic rules of the universe. Because one of the basic rules of the universe is if somebody dies, a summoner has to do this ritual so that their soul can move on to the afterlife. Otherwise, they turn into these monsters called fiends, which are the monsters you fight in the game. And it's nice because it's like, oh, there's an actual in-universe reason for there to be monsters beyond just here be monsters. And at one point, you kill an antagonist, and he never gets sent, they call it, and then he just turns into a super boss. Like, he just turns into this god-powered super boss you fight four more times across the course of the game. And then there's another part where in late stages of the game, you find out one of your party members has been dead this entire time. What? And what? like, <laughs> yeah, just like he died... Ten years ago, and he never got sent, so he's just been walking around. And, like, you suddenly think, oh, right, anytime Yuna performed the sending dance, this guy conveniently wasn't there for some reason. I guess that makes sense. No explanations ever given for how they don't turn into a monster. Mm. Um, and it's just never even mentioned. And then the entire plot twist surrounding the origins of the main character are not thoroughly explained at all. Like, no. the game becomes a David Lynch film for ten minutes explaining it and then it's never explained and then at the very end it's like you know that if we do this then you'll disappear forever and he's like i know like what you never said that we didn't i know (laughs) this was never explained you had a weird little kid cryptically talking for a few minutes and you were supposed to pick this up because he totally got it Uh so obviously you should too um and so for me like that's why i can't i can't go back to that game because the gameplay because we're talking about gameplay the gameplay is excellent. The gameplay is probably some of the best in the franchise. Some of the best in RPGs. It's it's tight. It works. A couple issues here and there, but it's really, really well executed, and it's a lot of fun to build your characters. But 
then those couple gigantic plot holes completely ruin the experience for me. And you said you don't you you don't want to go back and play it again. I really don't. Yeah, because of I that. played it. I played it when I was younger, and I thought it was dumb. And then in college, I was like, you know, let me give it another shot because I was younger than I probably I probably just didn't get it. And I tried to play it again, and watching that same scene where they explain the whole plot twist again, I was like, no, this still doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> like, no, it wasn't that I was just young and wasn't paying attention and missed it. It was just that it doesn't make any sense. Again, to the point of reward. It wasn't. Re- it's not rewarding. No, so it wasn't why, rewarding. So why would you want to do it again? Well, and I think that there's a cost to setting up your own, own internal logic. Like, if you want to have a game where random stuff happens for the entire game... The story's not as interesting, but it's fine. Like, if you want to play Calvin Ball with your rules, as long as the gameplay's solid, go for it. But when you're going to go and set up mythos, if you're going to say, these are the rules for this world, you, you can't break them. them. Yeah, yeah, if you set up promises, you keep those promises in any medium. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, that's not video games. That's just basic science fiction. Uh-huh. Yeah. Basic, well, basic storytelling. Basic storytelling, but especially in science fiction, if you're going to set the rules of how your mystical crap works. But I mean, in any kind of story... When you read the first half of a book, you have expectations. Like, this is going to be paid off. I don't know how it's going to be paid off, but this needs to be paid off. Like, you put the gun on the shelf, you're going to fire it. That's true. And so it works with rules, but it also just works with the things you set up. Well, I would argue that you can break the rules if you make it a point. Oh, yeah. Prime example, you put the gun on the shelf, you know you're going to fire it, you go to fire it, and it's loaded with blanks. Uh-huh. <laughs> You know, that that is the kind of thing which you can do and can honestly make for an even better story if you take the time. You know what, let's go back to Bioshock. Bioshock, one of the rules of playing a video game is you progress forward. It's what you do. Suddenly you realize your character has been doing this because he's being mind-controlled. It delightfully breaks what you expect. And it delightfully breaks the rule of moving forward. Yeah, and that goes back to the concept of surprise and delight and betrayal. Because mm-hmm. yeah. it, I and by that I don't mean that things have to go the way you think they're going to go, but they have to remember their own rules. Yeah. And I would just say that, like, and, and when you say like you put the gun on the shelf and you shoot it and there are blanks inside, that's still following the rules. You put the gun on the shelf, you fired it. You didn't know there were blanks in there. All right. All right? And yeah. that's uh, the surprise and delight was mm-hmm. there were blanks and not bullets. But all right. Um, but the gun was on the shelf. The gun was fired. Not the gun was on the shelf. It sat on the shelf. We never picked up the gun. The gun just sort of melted. Someone yeah. makes a mod where you can fire the gun. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but it crashes your this, PC. This, yes. is not, this is not a Bethesda game. Um, oh, no. did I say that? Say what? <laughs> I heard nothing. <laughs> um, and then there's another mod where the gun goes off and it's just the John Cena theme. <laughs> <laughs> this gun shoots little Randy Savages. <laughs> um, then beat up the enemy. So, when... Does the gameplay and the story complement each other? I will hold Stanley Parable as one forever because it's awesome. Yeah, and definitely. very much the way you play that game is in line with the story of that game. Yeah. But I'm sure there are others. No, and that's that's actually a very good point. That's a very good example of one where the gameplay completely, I think, flows well with the way the story was designed. One example that I came up with for this immediately, and when I was thinking about this before the show, actually, was uh, Hotline Miami. Game came out a few years ago. I got really into it for a few reasons. One was because the gameplay was just really fun. If you haven't played Hotline Miami, the whole point is it's top down, 
and you're sprinting through rooms where there are enemies who all respond and attack you very, very quickly. It's like you need to, you need to be twitch fast in reacting to these situations and moving around or else you're going to die and you'll have to start the level over. So the whole game is very fast-paced and kind of stressful, um, but, it, but in a way that's challenging and stimulating. You gotta be like, blah, blah. you have to think really fast and react and go, blah, blah, and go kind of crazy. And that in itself is fun, but what made it really interesting, I think the reason I, I got so obsessed with it and really into it, was because the story is kind of the same way. The, the whole point of the story is you're playing as these characters. I think in How Miami it's really only one or two. In How Miami 2 you expand it to multiple. But in How Miami you play as this character or characters who are just kind of obsessed with violence. And they don't even necessarily understand why. Part of the story of the game is delving into that and seeing why, like, is that, like, questioning, is this wrong, is this right, it's the way I feel, is this natural, is it unnatural, um, what is, what does it say about our society, like, what's, why am I like this, and, and then the whole, there's a, the whole psychosis aspect of it, too, where you're, like, you're not sure this, your character is totally sane, maybe, and so you have all those metaphors and, and imagery and, 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 uh, things coming into play, but it, it totally complements the gameplay, because the whole point is, that's kind of how your character feels. Is, 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 it's just a maelstrom of chaos and violence. And you have to react just because it's what's pushing you forward and you're, you feel compelled to do it. But at the same time, there's this inner conflict of whether or not what you're doing is, 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 is supposed to be right. I mean, you want to do it no matter what. You're going to do it no matter what. But what does this all mean? It's just very chaotic. The whole story was chaotic. The gameplay was chaotic. And when you put them together, it made a fantastic experience. And that's why I love Hotline Miami. <laughs> <laughs> that and the soundtrack. And I think it's yes. interesting how you can apply a different storyline to the same gameplay and then completely change what the game is. Yes. Uh, like Saints Row started as a mm. basic GTA clone, right? Yeah. yeah. It did. Actually, I'm, gl I'm glad you're saying this. Yeah, because... But then by... Was it two or three? Three, three was when they went off the rails. Yeah, three yeah. completely went off the rails, and suddenly <laughs> you're like... You're hitting people with... With like, a giant purple dildo. Dildo yeah. sword, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh... The Penetrator, I yeah. believe. Yes. 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 And your character is a giant black man with pink kabuki hair, and you're body slamming people everywhere. Oh, you remember my character. I <laughs> yes. And then you shoot you shoot the octopus cannon. Yeah, yeah, it was the shark chum. Oh, yeah, the, the octopi. Yeah. Then you also had the shark gun. Mm -hmm. Where it shot chum, and then a, a land shark would come up out of the ground mm -hmm. and eat them. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh -huh. Four out of the dubstep gun. I am a big fan of the dubstep gun. I haven't even played four, and I'm a big fan of the dubstep gun. Because so people will be dancing around you as you shoot it. Yeah. So just by adding a different flavor to the game, and just saying, we are going to take the story, and we are going to do something different, they took, you could take two games with the exact same mechanics. Like, you could take a GTA, you could take a Saints Row and build them off of the same mechanics and still have two completely different games because of how you decide the story should go. For sure. Um, I mean, I would point out, like, I know you were talking about playing Infamous. I'm not sure exactly how similar the gameplay is, but some, uh, just because I, I need to play Infamous still, but I have played Sunset Overdrive, and it sounds like, generally speaking, they play very similar. <laughs> um, very wacky. Like, <laughs> I love Sunset Overdrive. Just an unbelievably wacky gameplay of, like, you can never run, but you can move any other way you can think of. And you've got 
again, the crazy guns that do weird things. Like, he can whack people in the face with hit records. Um, <clears throat> and, like, and then the whole story of that game is wacky weirdness. And so it, the way you play the game is really nicely complemented by the story of the game. Um, and I could see a lot of that gameplay actually working very well in a, in a more serious tone game like Infamous, but it wouldn't be as wacky because, you know, dressed to be more of a superhero thing, right? Where you get to run up walls and so forth as opposed to running on the street, which is kind of boring and every other game does that. Yeah. No, and so I think we could do a whole episode on humor and its roles in games, but I think just by doing that, by adding story, you can reskin a game and like have totally different people appreciate it. Exactly. Yeah, and just in terms of gameplay and story working really well together, I'm actually going to totally contradict myself and go back to Final Fantasy X. <laughs> because this is actually something it does very well most of the time. In particular, the way that the game's character progression system works is that you know, your characters level up and you spend their level up points giving them stat-ups and new abilities and things, but eventually a character will reach the end of what they can do and everyone is actually all on the same skill tree. So eventually when one character finishes their skill tree, you could port them over to another character's skill tree and learn a whole different set of abilities. And so I, eventually, if you put a ton of time into it, everybody could actually do everything. Um, except Eunuch is the only one who can summon for story reasons. But yeah. there's a part of the story where Yuna, who is relegated to being your white mage for most of the game, she gets kidnapped in a certain part of the story. And so she's not with you. And if you've been more or less keeping pace with where the story wants you to be ability-wise, the main character, Titus, has just finished his, his branch of the sphere grid. And the easiest thing, his branch organically feeds into Yuna's. So he can start picking up some weaker healing magic and start to make his way down a white mace and become something of a paladin. And then in the story, that's about the time where he starts to kind of take charge and act like the leader of the group a little bit more, because he's getting more comfortable in what he's doing, and he starts to sort of become a little more filling that paladin role in the story. So the, the, character, the, the writing character progression and the ability character progression and the story and gameplay all mesh together for this moment where the characters are actually progressing the way that the gameplay dictates. That's brilliant. It is really brilliant. It's like yeah. one of the really cool things the game does. And then com like contrasting that against, again, going back to Kingdom Hearts, I like to harp about how in the Colosseum side <laughs> missions of Kingdom Hearts, there's one particular tournament where at the end of the tournament you fight Hercules. And Hercules. you fight Hercules, and before the fight starts... Sora's like, hey guys, talking to Donald and Goofy, and says, hey guys, I want to see if I can beat Herc one-on-one. -on -one. Like, you sure? He says, yeah, yeah, I want to see if I can do it. Because they knew the game would be, that the battle would be easier to do if they just made it a one-on-one -on -one battle between Sora and, and Hercules. And so they just, they threw together, there's not even voice, just a little cutscene excuse for you to make it a solo battle. After you win the fight, Hercules is like, wow, Sora, you've gotten really strong, I'm really impressed. He says, yeah, I couldn't have done it without my friends. <laughs> Except that I just did. Except that I just did. <laughs> so it's just interesting. Like those, and those two games came out around the same time, too. So it's just this kind of dichotomy of, like, well, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that happens, you know, a lot in stories where, especially in open-world experiences, there's a conflict between what the story wants and what the game wants. Like, how many open-worldish games have you had, like, a 
big thing you need to do. Like, there are hostages dying somewhere. How and, many Bethesda games have I played? <laughs> and there's no, like, it's not, there's not a time crunch. It's not like, you know, if you don't do it in such and such many hours, the hostages will die. They're just kind of there, chilling in some, like, supervillain's basement until mm -hmm. you've collected enough, like, random materials to feel comfortable finishing the game, and then taken a side quest just because you felt like it, and then decided to make friends with the barmaid and see how that's going while these people are screaming in terror. Let me finish this romance quest. There's a really... <laughs> oh, yeah. There's a really, there's a really delicate, careful balance there. Like, where if... Because you want, at the, same, at the same time, you want to compel the player through mm -hmm. the story. Like, actually, I'm thinking of two games in particular about this. One is Mass Effect, and one is uh, the Arkham series. Mm -hmm. The ba Batman Arkham series. Yes. Both games have, as a part of their story, very big things that need to be addressed right now. I mean, but, but they don't literally put you on a time crunch in most cases, where it's like... Yeah, this is the next big thing. You need to go, you need to go do this, Batman, or you need to, we need to go do this, Commander Shepard. But, you know, if you want to go to the Citadel and buy some stuff, or maybe go do this side quest over here, drive around to the Mako, you can do that. And Batman, if you want to go to that Riddler quest, you know, you can do that too. Um, you know, these, ho these hostages will just be here with a gun to their head for another hour. Um, just take your time. Or a week. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, yeah. or a week. Or, or however long. I mean, like, yeah, no, that's always the fun thing of um, any sort of open world or open zone, I suppose, could work too. But just any sort of game that gives you the ability to roam and check stuff out and that sort of thing um, tends to fall a little to that where it's like you're not really timed so you can do whatever you want. One that I think actually um, actually handled the whole thing really well was uh, Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. Um, yes. Yeah, because they do actually have a few missions that are timed, but you don't necessarily get told that. Yeah. And so, like, oh. you'll just get a fail <laughs> because <laughs> yep. you didn't do it in time. Yeah. And, and, and you know, like, um, like, really early on, one of the first things you can do, like, there's a little girl who's dying of the flu or some shit. And, yep. and, and uh, Geralt essentially says something to the effect of, like, well, I can make Swallow, which is your generic health potion for witchers. Yeah. Um, but... Since she's not a witcher, it could kill her. And they're like, please, anything, and you can kind of decide what you want to do there. Mm -hmm. um, and I went with, yeah, I'll make it. But, you know, I didn't know how much time I had. It didn't tell me I was timed. So what? I went off and kind of did some other stuff. I wasn't totally sure how to make Swallow, because it was really early in the game, and if you've never played a witcher game before, it's not totally clear. Um, they do lay it out for you later, but by the time you get to later, that little girl's dead. <laughs> Good job. Yeah. And so I just get this, like, fail. And I'm like, how did I fail the quest? <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, in terms of, like, the main plot points, the main thing that I think that they did really well, and this is just more of a creative choice that worked for them than I think it is necessarily something that will work for everybody every time. But their creative choice with that game was the main story is essentially you're trying to find your young apprentice, Siri, and uh, kind of get in touch with her to handle shit that's going on in the world. Mm -hmm. And so a large part of the game is just following her tracks, which if you want to find her speedily, right, you would theoretically go through all the main stuff as quickly as possible. But since you're following tracks, 
technically you could take as long as you want. Yeah. And it, it makes it makes for an easy time to like, you know, I know I need to find Siri, but my friend over here is having some problems, so I'm gonna go deal with that and then I'll come back to this and yeah. yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh it was funny as you were talking about the little girl dying. Uh, <laughs> reminded me. Because oh, uh, nothing says dying. comedy like Nothing says comedy like little kids dying. Yeah. Um the it was actually uh, Metal Gear Solid Five also did a send up of that, of the whole time limit thing. The the first real mission of the game is you're going to go rescue Miller who's been taken captive by uh by Skullface. And so Ocelot says at the beginning of the mission, I would guess Miller's probably got about three days before, you know, they'll move him someplace else or he'll start giving up info or whatever. Like, he's probably got about three days, so we got to get him now. And, like, you pretty much would have to do this on purpose just because it's such a simple mission. But if you do somehow take three in-game days to get to him, they had a whole separate cutscene where you go and he's still strung up to the wall and you shake him and he's just dead. And it just says mission failed. <laughs> and you start over because you took too long. He had about three days, and you took more than three days, and he died. And it was just interesting that they did that just for kicks because there's really no way you could actually take that long to pull that off. Well, I want to go back to games that complement each other because I forgot to talk about it earlier. There's a game I have not played and might not ever play because I don't know if I can emotionally handle it that just came out, uh, That Dragon Cancer. Yeah, it's, hmm. um, it's actually... It's, I haven't heard of this. It's very sad, actually. It's, uh, there was a guy and his wife and his son, uh, his very young son, I think he was like three or something, came down with cancer. Okay. And so he and his wife just have had to deal with having their kid have a terminal disease. Hmm. Um, and he was a game developer, and so he's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to quit my job, and I'm going to make a game about this. And the whole game is just the experience of this man and his wife, this family, losing their child. The, the family members did the voice acting the for it. The family members did the voice acting. But there are scenes, like the whole thing moves kind of through a dreamlike state. You just kind of go from one scene to another scene and they don't necessarily connect. And you cannot necessarily succeed. There's a scene that he took from his life where his son is crying because... He's a little kid. He can't understand things. He's hurting. He wants food. Mm -hmm. And he's just, you know, he, and the father can't give him food because it's not, it's not medically sound. Yeah. And he's just crying and crying. And you can try anything. The game gives you options to try to fix things. Mm -hmm. And you cannot do it. And eventually you just have to wait. And then if you go long enough, the father will start praying. The, their faith is very important to yeah. the family. And and this happened to him where one time he was just so fed up because he couldn't make this kid stop crying, he prayed and the kid stopped crying. Hmm. And it just moved him so much. Yeah. And so the game makes it so you cannot fight the cancer. You cannot win. You can just experience it and go through it and just try as hard as you can. So you are like forced to be as emotionally wrecked and as helpless and sometimes hopeful as this family was forced to be. So the whole point of all of the gameplay is to serve the emotional story. I think I'll take a pass. <laughs> yeah. That's fascinating and I'm glad it exists. And I'm not going to play it. I'm gonna I'm gonna go yeah, I'm gonna go back to I'm gonna go back to my JRPGs now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I I don't know if I could emotionally handle that. Yeah. It's uh that's, no, I, have to I respect that they did it, but I don't know yeah. if I could emotionally handle it. I saw an AMA I think with the guy or it was just a post about the story coming out and just like there were a lot of posts where it was like, I just had a kid, I am not playing this for like twenty years. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I pray for the day I mean a good enough place to play that game. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, oh, man. 
<laughs> just hearing about it is making me. But sad. I mean, that's a story that if you saw, like, if you saw a movie about a family struggling with cancer, you'd be sad. But you don't have to be the one hitting the wall. Exactly. Yeah. yeah no. Like you. And in fact, I've seen movies like that. And you know, a few of them have shaken me to the point where I'm still thinking about them a week later or whatever. But eventually. It's gone. You don't care. I mean, like, you do, but yeah. it's done. Although I think we all know the best dealing with cancer TV show or movie. Breaking, Breaking Bad. Bad. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Yes. But it's it's interesting, though, is it kind of gets back to the whole point of, like, why would anyone even play that? Mm-hmm. I think the whole point is, because I mean, that game is almost entirely just story, mm-hmm. right? It's a story with, with gameplay added to add a layer of interact interactivity to it, I'm assuming. But... The whole point being is there is some reward there for finding out what happens with this story. Players get the chance to place themselves in this situ- situation that they're not in and may never be in, mm-hmm. and never have never have been in, probably in most cases. And hopefully. you get hopefully. Ho- hopefully, but you get to experience all the the lessons and and uh, literal physical experiences and just emotions that kind of come with that. And that story conveys all that to the player. And that, I think, to a lot of people is where the reward is. Why the reason that actually motivates them to actually, to actually play it is they want to, we want to know. We want to feel that. We want to know, we want to be there. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, a great example of, because that game, I know this game, Gone Home, I think, is another game that's very heavily uh, a story, mm-hmm. not too much gameplay, but at the same time, it still gives you that feeling of engagement and reward as you play through and learn the story. I mean, Quantic Dream. That's all they do. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and of course, Telltale. Yeah. Telltale. Yeah. Telltale, of course. That's all they do. Big, big Telltale. And so, for this this time's lightning round, we are going to go through and do Telltale Doesn't Present. So games we think that if Telltale made would, for whatever reason, not work uh, or will never be made... Well, okay, I have had to babysit a lot. I was a teenage girl at one point, so I babysat a lot. And if you get babysit a lot, you are going to end up reading the boxes for game boards and learn that they actually have stories behind them. I do not want Telltale to present the gripping tale of Candyland. The <laughs> oh, kidnapping of King Candy and there was something about a slog monster. I don't think even Telltale can save that. I don't know, that might oh, make that compelling. Yeah. It, it, it would end up being a very Alice in Wonderland sort of thing, I, you know, but... I think by the time that they read enough into that that it's interesting, there wouldn't be much Candyland left in there. This is true. Yeah. See, I, t- I, 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 uh, I got this prompt, and I said to myself, you know what, I could go in the complete opposite direction, so I want to see Telltale doesn't present Schindler's List. Oh, <laughs> no! Oh! Because oh. they've, they've, they've done movies. They've there, done movies in Jurassic Park. There is no win. There <laughs> is no winning. Everybody loses. I'm just imagining, I'm just imagining a little note in the corner, the Fuhrer will remember that. <laughs> 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 oh, all right, do you Connor. want to sell this watch? Because Schindler will remember that. <laughs> Schindler will remember that. Yeah. Connor, go ahead. Let's hear what you. Uh, thank you. I, I had a few ideas. Like I said before, like Tell, Telltale's done movies before, you know, and they, to, to some moderate success. Back to the Future, Jurassic Park are both big ones for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a few ideas for like what what Telltale cannot should not present. I'm actually gonna go with a book. I'm gonna say if they were gonna take a book. I know they've done they've done comics with Wolf Among Us, but let's I'm gonna say Telltale doesn't present Paradise Lost. <laughs> <laughs> Actually that might work. 
I, I don't know. know. That could be incredible. I thought, I thought you were going to say where the red fern grows. <laughs> how, about, how about this? Dante's Inferno. Yeah. That was, that was my first thought, but I thought Paradise Lost confused me very much. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I don't know if te- even Telltale could fix I, that. I don't know. Fever I, dream maybe, of a metaphor. Maybe, maybe they'd make it, and then we would all understand Paradise Lost. My <laughs> God. So much more. Or tell- I could get a literature degree. <laughs> yeah. either, that or, either that or the myth of Sisyphus. Telltale I, does not present oh. the myth of Sisyphus. <laughs> there you go. I think then after that, everybody on the Telltale development staff gets a literature degree. Yeah, there you go. Yes, <laughs> I imagine all of them probably already do. Yeah. What about you, Grant? Um, mine, I wouldn't necessarily make a bad game in and of itself, but the internet would ruin it. Uh, Telltale presents Shrek. <laughs> That'd be amazing. <laughs> I just don't want to see that. I don't want to see Telltale presents Shrek. No. Shrek is love. Shrek is life. Never let the modding community get the yeah. All right, and I am going to add on a bit of a somber note. This is true, people. Telltale does not present Sam and Max season four. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> you made me sad. <laughs> Alright, well thank you guys for joining us for episode 2 of Volcano Baked Meat. Feel free again to visit us on social media, Twitter. Uh, we are at so simply very good. Good spelled G-U-D because G-O-O-D was taken. Damn it. Facebook.com. We are Volcano Baked Meat there as well. You can also visit us at volcanobakemeat.wordpress.com for blog posts, further information, maybe even some show notes. And while you're on WordPress, social media, what have you, definitely please leave us some comments as to what your favorite games are or with uh, solid stories, um, what doesn't have a good story that we, you think we should avoid at all costs. <laughs> Just talk with us. We like it. We're lonely. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff's lonely. I'm very lonely. <laughs> and with that, we will see you on the next episode of Volcano Bake Meat. So simply, very good.